0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com Shalom and welcome to Asian Torah, practical spirituality, overlooking the Temple Mount, Jerusalem. Today we're talking about different types of Jews, and as I look around this classroom, I realize there's many different types of Jews. Though in my neighborhood, it would be hard to know there's different types of Jews... Because uh, everyone pretty much dresses the same and are expected to act more or less the same as well, and um, and that comes from various things. But one of those things that comes from is certain personality types uh, generally rise into uh, more controlling uh, leadership positions, administrative administrative type positions, and those types of those types of leaders are really good at amputating the uniqueness of individuals. And um, just as a joke, you know, when you, see, uh, when you see in the very observant community, you know, everyone, like, kind of looks the same, especially the men. You know, the men really look the same. And so the joke is that when we wear our talus, you know, it has the black stripes. And the reason it has black stripes is it's barcode, so God knows who's praying. <laughs> Unfortunately, this has become something that plagues the observant community in a big way because, because uh, it's just frankly hurtful. Um, I mean, it's this whole idolatry over the word normal. Like you got to be normal, because or else you're not going to be able to get married. You know, you got to be normal. It, tell me, has anyone ever met, first of all, a family where everyone in the family is normal? <laughs> it doesn't exist. Yet we're all supposed to be normal. You know, everyone's got to be normal. So it becomes like, it's horrific, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that kid in the family who's a little different, you know, maybe he's pushing the limits a little bit. Please uh, make it as comfortable as possible for latecomers to come sit down. Um, anyway, but normal normal is a joke. Normal is a joke, and the, unfortunately, so many individuals are the punchline of that joke. Raise your hand if you ever felt, I mean, you're not on film, raise your hand if you've ever felt like the punchline of the normal world, and you're the one who wasn't so normal. Anyone ever felt that way? okay so not not a nice feeling not a nice feeling and and what's amazing about it is those not normal people are always you know i mean after that generation burns their books are always like these amazing people in history you know they're the ones who made the difference is the not normal ones i mean my claim to fame in life is two things and they're the same and um, what are the two things that are the same? Is that, is that, um, having been out of the ins- educational institutions where all the amputations generally take place, being out of a- out of educational institutions from eleven to twenty three, was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, um, and that is because, because I'm kind of. Uh, one sec. just Close these doors. Because I'm I'm really unadulterated me more than most people I meet. I, I meet a lot of people trying to find themselves, and they think somehow I'm going to be able to help them, which is cute, you know. Okay, we need to reverse all your education, <laughs> you know, all the years of you being in some kind of mold of some society somewhere, you know. First, we got to get rid of that, and so I'm, we can't do that obviously. But the but there are ways, and some of them are illegal, to get rid of your. Um, your, the stuckness of having been shaped and formed by people who knew nothing about you. And the... Um, but the other thing that was really good about it is it led me to a more spiritual life because you'll notice that the most spiritual people that exist... What are the most spiritual people ex, who exist, by the way? I mean, they don't exist today, but they existed like 2,500 years ago. Who are the most spiritual people that exist? well that never <laughs> well, maybe, but yeah, I mean, not that philosophical. Mm-hmm. Prophets. Prophets are like really the most spiritual people that exist. Why? Because not only do they have all the spirituality that someone might think a spiritual person should have, but they've reached such spirituality that the aperture of their spirituality is such that God's decided, this is a good, this is a good address here for an up-down message. Meaning, spirituality generally, you climb up. Here, this person's climbed so high that God's decided, hey, this is a good vessel for extra light. Which, in a way, if you understand uh, prophecy, it's just really like a power surge. Most of us don't get that power surge. So, so, while you're climbing down, up, you're still dealing with the regular circuit breakers. You know, like this, these lights, for example, are coming out 220. But believe me, the power plant they come from isn't at 220. That's at like you know a billion volts. And then by the time it hits. The old city, maybe it's uh, a million volts, probably more than that, two million volts. And then by the time it hits this region of the old city, and probably this whole building actually wound up with its own thing. But but, uh, let's say this building gets it at 10,000 volts, 20,000 volts, and then it steps down in our converters to get down to 220 at each, it comes down to 220 at each light bulb. So if you're a spiritual person, you're still stuck here at 220 voltage, Working your way up the system. Whereas somebody who's in the, somebody who's in the, you can put that phone down. Yeah. So somebody who's on the, on the, but when you get prophecy, God's saying, you know what, to hell with all those circuit breakers, meaning all those convert, step down converters. And he just goes and just blows through them. Now, what would happen to you right now at 220? If God suddenly gave you 10,000, what would happen to you? Because the answer is you wouldn't make it. You just wouldn't make it. None of us would make it. No one. Would. I mean, probably no one in the generation would make it. I mean, you'd be brushing your teeth on your forehead that evening. You know, you, you wouldn't... You'd be gone. If, if you even survived it, in tr- like if your heart didn't explode in the experience. You know, you'd be... If you survived it, you'd be crazy for the rest of your life. And so and so God wouldn't do that and those of you who are like oh God if you'd only speak to me you don't realize that that's going to be a ticket to the funny farm you know you get people all the time at the hotel you know God just send me the message and God's like you don't want that message <laughs> that would not look good here you know you, you want a trip to the laundry mat or something because you think you're going to be able to stand during this <laughs> yeah I could stand man I could hack it yeah you can't stand while you're getting that. Anyway, you should know only two prophets in the whole history of prophecy, and there were millions running around Israel at one point. There were only two prophets in all of history who could stay standing during it. One was Moses and the other was Samuel the prophet. Shmuel Hanavi. There's the only two prophets. We have a tradition that only two prophets were able to actually stay composed during their prophetic experience. And you see, Moses didn't even do that hot. Moses wound up glowing after a while and freaking everybody out. He had to wear a bag over his head whenever he was in public. You knew that? You know Moses used to walk around with a brown paper bag on his head? I'm just kidding, it wasn't brown paper. I don't know what it was. It was called a masave. And uh, he walked around with a bag on his head. You Which know, is... kind of reminds me of the beginning of our class of covering your head. So, anyway. Yeah, but I'm sure he was wearing more than... Just a bad. Now, the inside joke for whoever was here before the video started. Now, the um, anyway, we're not here about prophecy, but what we knew, what we do know about prophets, especially the real famous ones, is what was their occupation? What was all the occupation? What shepherding. was shepherding? Yeah, Avram shepherd, Yitzchak say together, Shepherd, Yaakov. Shepard. Moses, Shepard. Aaron, Shepard. Joseph, Shepard. David. was a shepherd? Joseph was a shepherd, sure. They were all shepherds. I mean, everybody was shepherds. Right? I mean, later he became like the head of the, uh, the head of the, uh, uh, what do you call it? What was, what's Joseph Bernanke? What was his job? The Today her name's Yellen. She's in charge of that thing. It's the federal... The chair. The chairman of the... Federal Reserve, yeah. Later, he became the chairman of the Federal Reserve. But uh, he started as a shepherd. Simple beginnings. Anyway, the... uh, What was I going to say about shepherd? Oh, where do shepherds spend their time? Yeah, in wilderness. They spend all their time in wilderness. So that was the other lucky thing I got was if if I'm in Southern California, which is like where the mountains meet the sea, so every day I was either surfing six to eight hours a day, which is a kind of wilderness. You're out on your own in nature. And if I wasn't surfing, I was mountain biking five, six, seven hours a day. I was always out there on the trails. If I was getting too tired, I'd pull into a cave and meditate for a little while. I was a little kid. Thank God I had parents who didn't seem to care. And <laughs> care about that. They cared about me. They just didn't care much about. About uh, I guess where I was, but then again, we grew up in like the safest zip code on earth. I mean, there there wasn't a pedophile within ten zip codes of our house. You, know? like, yeah. you couldn't even steal anything because by the time you get back to the inner city, you were already in jail. You know, it's like we were far from where crime took place. You know, the outer edge of LA, on, where the ocean and the way, and the mountains meet. And, you know, there, there was just no crime at all. So my parents said, okay, no crime, so. I guess we'll see you when we see you. <laughs> Which is how I grew up. My wife and kids are still starting to get used to that. We'll see you when we see you. Now, <clears throat> anyway, there's, there's different types of Jews, and, uh, and with that whole subject that we just closed now, was how our society's done its best to get rid of the different types of Jews. Really? Right. Yeah. How was uh, How was Joseph working his way up the spiritual circuit in the buildings? Like, what was he... In, in those years? Yeah, in those years. You can't help it. I mean, when you're shepherding, I I, I, I still mountain bike. I'm out there. I mm-hmm. see all these Bedouin kids all the time. They're always asking me for something. Right. And uh, usually water. <laughs> 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 and, and the um, the those Bedouin kids, they're, I mean, they're kind of trippy and super instinctual types. You know, we use Bedouins for tracking and stuff. You know, for infiltrator tracking. Super instinctual people. They, uh, but they're, but I always get a pretty spiritual sense from those kids. I mean, after they've had some water, you know, they, they they're kind of worried about water. But after the water part, they seem pretty spiritual. You can't help it. You're spirituality. The reason is, is because the wilderness in Hebrew is called midbar. Wilderness, anytime you're in nature, you're in midbar. It could be forested, it could be desert, it could be ocean, it could be, it could be arctic, it doesn't matter. It's called midbar. And what's the word midbar also? Midaber. Midaber is to speak. But it's singular. Midaber. Well, who's midaber? Well, you're midaber. You ever thought about it? Your mind is, you know, you ever heard that voice in your head? Truth is, all you've ever heard is the voice in your head. But everyone take a moment to hear the voice in your head. Listen to the voice in your head. Voice in my head. What voice in my head? What's he talking about? A voice in my head? That's the voice in your head. You know, you don't, you, you think I'm teaching this class. I'm not teaching the class. I'm just sending out vibrations that you call English, and then every one of you is hearing it your way. It's your—it's vo- really your voice speaking in your head, quickly translating everything I say into your voice. That's all there really is, is the voice in your head. But people who live in society, the voice in their head's not so pure, because you've got a lot of influences. Hopefully, some of them are good. You've got a lot of influences that are part of the voice in your head. So it's not necessarily your voice. I meet a lot of people who who feel like their intuition doesn't exist because because what's intuition? It's that's your voice saying don't go there or do go there or whatever. That's your intuitive voice, but a lot of people can't help but second guess that voice because they got so many darn voices in their head from mommy and daddy and teachers and and. Advertisers and billboards And and, you know I mean you name it There's a lot of voices A lot of voices going on And so it's really hard to find your voice Uh, But this is the beauty of the wilderness You go to the wilderness for a little while You need like You guys probably all would need a few days At least before your voices start to say anything But you go to the wilderness a little bit you, You start to hear your voice After a while it's an important thing to hear your voice, especially making big decisions. And you got to hear your voice, or at least have someone in your life that knows you so well that they're able to help you determine, you know, what's the right choice to make. I feel like the fan's on loud, or it's just getting worse and worse. And it's, um, can you check, I saw it was on low before, but it's just so loud, I can't stand it. It's still on low? That's high. Okay. Does the word maintenance mean anything to you guys? Mm-hmm. Like, can't we maintain this thing? It's, it's slowly gotten louder over the last ten years. It just probably just belts or something that need change. Anyway, I'm gonna have to do it myself better wear thick gloves. (laughs) So, okay. Now, anyway, but back to different types of Jews. God creates all of us differently. And we're all going to have to answer for that. And the way I like to do it in a Venn diagram is like this. You got, you know, the fact that you were born Jewish. That's going to come with a lot of details. You're born Jewish. But you're also born... Jewish. So you've got Jewish and Jewish. The reason I put it in event Venn diagram is, is the way our society, at least in the observant culture, is is that they're trying to convince everybody that if you just be Jewish, you can ignore the Jewish part because who you are is Jew. And so, like, we're just going to turn the Jewish into Jewish and, you know, and then, you know, call it a day without, you know, your individuality without your personal self-expression without your the um, without the contribution that you bring by your very essence and your unique self that comes and 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 yet everyone's different every single person's different you know, right now in my seminar I'm running a seminar at night for Israelis and and one of them, he's been my constant use of example because he has thirty, three or thirty kids who are three years old for you know about four or five hours a day. He's a uh, Ganon, how do you say, a kindergarten teacher. He's a kindergarten big Hasidic guy. He's so cute, so sweet, big old Hasidic guy, and and he's got every day of his life is and is thirty kids and you you want to know something amazing is his father spent his whole life in debt running from debtors and so he didn't have much of a father because if you were owed money where's the most likely place you would go to get it is their house and so he grew up with a father non-existent constantly running from the people knocking at the door and so it's very sad and so he told me yesterday that he wakes up every day at four in the morning which really made me feel bad because the seminar ends at 11 and he doesn't live in Jerusalem so I'm like 4 in the morning what do you do at 4 in the morning he says I mop the floors of the school and looks at the whole group and he says I'm not going into debt and he lives off nothing lives off nothing how much you pay a guy to look after 3 year olds and how much you pay him to mop the floor 30 shekels an hour yeah. but, uh, you know, earlier this week we spoke a little bit about getting caught in your narrative you know like he's way in his narrative big time and now he's with me at nights, kind of questioning the narrative that he's in anyway but one of the questions I asked this sweet sweetheart of a man, just the sweetest guy you ever met one of the questions I asked him was was, you have 30 kids there, you ever had any two the same? He's like, no, they're all totally different. Every single one is just so different. The reason I asked him that is because there was a man who looked a lot like me in the group who was sharing that he has cut and pasted from the community to the point where he has no idea who he is. And then he says, and then he says that, I mean this gets really sad, but then he says, that his wife's also the father. because if a man doesn't know who he is because he's been so busy being like everybody else, well then he's not going to be the man of the household either. He's not really the man of the house. And so she's had to take over for that. And then I wanted the guy to share how he feels about all that. And he couldn't, he just couldn't get to the feelings. And I was pushing him too. I was like, cause he was starting to put things in second person. He's like, well, you feel like, and I'm like, no, no. How do you feel? We always go second person when things get tight. So I'm like, no, no, don't give me the you's. Give me that. How do I feel? And then he kept saying, well, you feel like, and then would give me another analogy of how someone might feel if you could somehow understand the analogy. And I said, well, how does that feel? And he'd say, well, it feels like, and then i get another analogy. And I'm finally looking at this guy like, enough explanations, you know, of these sophisticated analogies of how someone might feel. How, like might, like hypothetically feel. Well, he's actually the one who and the answer is you feel dead inside. You feel dead. You feel alone. You feel crushed. But he couldn't say it, and I'm not going to say it. I'm facilitating. So I kept trying and trying. I'm like, how does that feel? How does that feel? How does that feel? And then all of a sudden, and this was like so unpredictable, some guy like across the room, there's a whole room of people, some guy across the room just goes like, bah! and as soon as he catches his breath, bah! and as soon as he catches his breath, I thought the guy was going to throw up. I mean, he was literally going into a panic attack, and the whole room's just like, "What is going on here?" And I was just watching, like, "Okay, here we go. Here we go." This, I mean, this is my training, so this is like amazing to have this happen. So, like, you, know, you you get trained for you know so decades. You know, you want something like crazy like this so and he's just going and going and, and everyone wants to know why so he finally can like get words out between the screens and get, what are the words that he points to the guy who was speaking and he says that was my father he didn't exist it was just Jewish there was no Jewish. And I don't even know who I am. Because he was not able to give me who I am either. He didn't have who he was. He couldn't give me who I am. And at which point I looked at this other guy who was talking at the beginning, and I said, Hashem, God has sent you your son. 20 years from now that's your kids how does that feel at that point I shut down all the lights and took the whole p- group into process <laughs> I never even got back to that guy actually now that I'm thinking about it I never even spoke to that guy again I, I, tonight I'll pull him aside we're back together it's every night so tonight I'll pull him aside to find out what happened I don't even, I have no idea. I just turn the place pitch black and then everyone process their own narratives to see where that's where their narrative has taken them. And if that's a narrative they really want. It's so random your narratives are so random. So the analogy I like is is that we're all born with hooks in our mouth. Every one of us is born with a hook in our mouth. Like, like fishermen's hooks. You know, we all got the hook. We're already hooked. It's just that God has a really long line. <laughs> so like, we're all like, on, we're all on the line right now. But really, it could be anywhere. Anyone here fished before? Anyone fish? Yeah, a little bit. You fished. So what happens when you get a real whopper of a fish and he's fighting? What do you do with him? at the beginning but I'm saying once he's really fighting you let him let him run a bit right you let out line yeah so what happens is you can they can break the line if the fish fights and you're fighting like that's not good tension because you're both fighting so there's a uh, what do you call that cog lets out line it has that weird noise it's got some kind of gear that lets out line if you click it if you flip it it lets out line let the fish fight it's already hooked, you can relax like, uh, you know, have a beer while he's fighting you know, and let the fish do all his fight, 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 fight and uh, when the fish is done fighting, he has ran out of energy just reel him in and so we are all born with hooks in our mouths and God is going to reel us in every one of us every one of us, and that's one of the big fears of death is you know a lot of people are nervous about this conversation that's why they say there's no atheist in a foxhole because even if you don't believe in god i mean <laughs> honestly like deep down hey welcome back uh, is it oh good good just push those tissues on the floor or tilt tilt the chair over or something you don't have to I'll touch those i don't even know whose they are No. I- oh you don't want to sit there I like looking at your dog when you but sit. I like to sit near people I'm allergic to dogs. Okay, hope they're not allergic to dogs. Oh. You're good, right there is great. I, I really love having a dog in my class. It's like, <laughs> I love it. I love all kinds of weird things in my class, but having a dog in class is great. I like it when people bring their babies too, at least if they're girls, because baby girls are quieter. Your dog's extremely quiet. My dog's quiet. Oh, so he's not a noisemaker. Sheep, sorry, sheep. Uh-huh. Oh, there's a seat right there, please. Have they entered into, like, transgender dogs yet? Is there an issue? Like, seriously, why can't you decide your dog's a male? You know? Give it ten years. Give it ten years. Anyway, the... Perfect timing for my transgender <laughs> dog joke. So, anyway, um, back to our class. Is <sighs> someone remind me what I'm talking about? <laughs> no, no, not the. I know the subject. Uh, we're, we're all born with hooks in our mouths. God's going to reel us all in. It's just He's letting out wine right now. No, the truth is, with you, if you're in Jerusalem right now hearing a Torah class in Jerusalem, he's not letting out line. Now there's slack because you've been coming towards the boat. You're coming towards God's boat. People who pray three times a day, eat kosher, learn Torah, they're hanging around the fishermen. I Meaning they're hanging around God. You know, just hoping he like shoots off a little, you know, an anchovy or something. You know, like, you know, he sees you down there. He's like, oh, okay. You know, you're just like. So, you know, we're, we're all hanging around the boat here. You know, Jerusalem is the, you know, the palace of the king. You know, you're, we're hanging around this place. But do we all know people? Raise your hand if you know somebody who's running for their life and with their behavior right now, they're just going the other way. You know, anyone like that? Got people out there doing that? Oh, yeah. A lot of people doing that. Now, do you think God's breaking a sweat? No. God doesn't break a sweat about people going against him or away from him. Why? What's already in their mouth? They're already hooked. (laughs) Now you might say, well, gosh, I mean, the guy's been doing it for like 30 years already, or she's been at this for 40 years already. Tell me, what does 40 years mean to an infinite being? Nada. You know the word nada? It's not a light chicken gravy, I'll tell you that. It means nothing in Spanish. (laughs) God's not worried at all about people going the other way. It just doesn't mean much. Even your own sins, like you think you've ever done something wrong, which is obviously going the other way. He's letting out line for you to do it. He has to arrange it. It feels so bad for God having to arrange your sins. Because how can you sin if you didn't arrange it? He's running the entire show, so he has to arrange everything you do wrong, too. Maybe that's like, Maybe that's a good enough reason to, like, stop doing it. Like, like God, I just don't want to hassle you for this one, you know, because it's not really going out, you know, out on a limb. And, you know, and you're going to have to, like, arrange it and make sure I don't die and, you know, and, and make sure everything I'm trying to do wrong, you know, works out. You know, it's like the the famous Hasidic story of the holy, the holy uh, thief. The holy thief who, you know... He always prays before he goes into someone's house to steal that he shouldn't get caught, you know. <laughs> but I imagine it gives God nachas, you know. Like, I'm sure God's not happy he's a thief, but like at least he prays before he goes in there, you know. Anyway, but but God's like God's orchestrating even the stuff you do wrong, and. And don't think if you did something... Therefore, if you're doing something wrong, don't think that you're like shocking God. You think you do something wrong, God's just like, I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. You can't surprise God. And by the way, let's go like really philosophical here. Is it really wrong? When you do something wrong, how do we know it's really wrong we know it's wrong here we feel the conscience we may know Torah is divine so it's going against the Torah so we we know it's wrong we may feel it's wrong but via the an infinite being could it be that he just set up like arbitrary things down here not to do you know he's just like he's like hmm we got chickens we got cows we got lamb, and we've got pigs. Eeny, miny, catch a tiger by the door. Pigs. Pigs are out. Pigs are out. Who says pigs are out? God says pigs are out. Maybe there's some other planet in the galaxies out there that's got their own t- chickens out. It's an infinite being. It's set up, no, it set up the rules for this place. So, good to keep them. Very good to keep them. Very not good for you, for the world, for anyone to not keep them. But who says, you know, and that's why I'm saying that, that, that you think it's like a big shocker for God. You had a hot dog at, the, at Dodger Stadium. It's really not good for you. Really not good for you. But, I mean, you can't exactly shock God. And God's the one who created Dodger dogs. Sorry to mention dogs again, but God's the one who created Dodger dogs. Now I suggest you go to Jeff's Delicatessen. Mm-hmm. It's on the uh, ground floor level, uh, Glock Kosher. Jeffrey Hatner is a friend of mine, and he's got a deli down there. And, the, and one of the best things about it is deli food. Not only is the food amazing, but the uh, but it's right next to a place that sells craft beer, <laughs> which has like every kind of craft beer you could ever want in the middle of a ball game. You know, but you don't have to, you're not stuck with lager anymore at a Dodger game. So we're all born with a hook in our mouth and and it's ideal to hang around the boat. It's not ideal to run, but doesn't shock God. God's outside of time so he doesn't really care how long it's been. And God never breaks a sweat because the hook's already there. And in the end, he reels you in. We're all getting reeled in. And earlier I was saying and an atheist, even an atheist, they may not admit it, but I promise you every atheist on their deathbed, it's just like, uh-oh. Like, now we find out. Now we find out. And, and that's why they're not real atheists, because they're still hedging their bets on the side of being good. I've rarely met... First of all, to meet an atheist, is usually quite philosophical, and anyone who's quite philosophical automatically is smart, and anyone who's smart knows, don't betray your own feelings about right and wrong, because you're never going to get someone without feelings of right and wrong. So they're, they're anyway hedging their bets, because they're listening to their, their own compass, even an atheist has an internal compass of what's right and wrong. So they, they're not truly living as sight. Like, they're not living mathematically as atheists. They're really living much more as agnostics because they've got that conscience inside. And, they, and everyone knows you ignore the conscience, you're not going to be happy. You listen to the conscience, you're going to be happy what do you What do all psychologists agree that every human being wants to be? Happy. So just do the right things and you will be happy, which is a really easy formula. Put Prozac out of business. Just do the right thing. You feel good about yourself. you feel good about yourself, you tend to be happier. I'm not talking about moods, moods are their own thing, but you feel good about yourself, you'll generally be happier. So do the right thing. and the funny thing is is every human being does the right thing and feels better the problem is, is an hour later they do something really stupid but if you live in a society where people do the right things repetitively like living in an observant community like I do so I live in an observant community that's bolstered by right thing doers I meaning you, you just kind of help each other because everyone's doing the right thing and you get to it almost becomes part of the social fabric that our community does the right things helps you feel better about yourself i i promise you i mean i've never done this as a scientific uh, research study but i promise you i promise you that if you go to communities where people do the right thing versus a community where there's no real rules of behavior at all that you'll find happier people in general they'll hit all the well-being marks higher i'm not saying they're happy (laughs) i'm just saying they'll be happier these people have a lot of other tools they're missing, especially the post-war Ashkenazic communities of Black Hatitude. have all kinds of other issues going on that are, that are happiness killers uh, from everything we've been through, um, which I could go into great detail about, but not right now. And, but they'll be happier. There'll be more well-being. Anyway, um, back to the, the hook in the mouth is God pulls you out of the sea. And now he takes the hook out of your mouth so you can speak properly. And God has a few questions for you. Question number one is, I guess he asks you the easier one first. So if you had a black hat and you have these babies. So your first question is, were you Jewish? And then you you're like, Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you like you like show them your stats, how many times you said a <laughs> which is like hundreds of thousands, not millions. I don't know. I wonder if anyone ever counts it. Oh, there is the Amen book. I bet you it has the stats of the average life's Amains. There's a book we actually have it in our house. It's called a main. It's only about it's called A Book About One Word. I think it's, It's a part of the title. So, anyway, um, you know, it's really basically asking for your stats, you know, wearing your barcode shawl. You know, it's just your stats wearing the barcode shawl. And the barcode shawl is the black lines on the tallest. That's your barcode for your stats. So, anyway... You know, how many times did you say Yeheshme Rabbah? And how many times did you sing a Shabbat song? And how many times did you say Al-Nitilat Yadayim? And how many times did you say Baruch HaTashem? And how many times did you say Shema Yisrael? Now, it's not just going to be quantity, by the way. It's also going to be quality, meaning you'll be checked for your robotics. (laughs) And by the way, all of us will have a large number of robotics, no matter who you are. Myself, who's like, I'm like a big meditator. And sadly, I would say I'll, I'll have more um, quantity marks over quality as a committed meditator. Like I'm, a, you know, what a committed meditator is? Is they don't skip. It's not like I skip a day. I don't skip. I've, I've sat in utter silence today with you know serious focus on various things that are not for the essentials course and the and but I'm a committed meditator and I promise you quantity is going to be quality in my prayers but we will be asked all those questions and then after jewish now if someone born and looks like and raised in a community that they look like me he'll start with the easier question but then they're going to get nailed with the jewish question and God's going to say were you jewish at which point the person Who's being interviewed by God is going to w- wish they could like strangle every minhahel. You know what the, a minhahel is someone from hell. Okay, minhahel means it means Jewish organ, Jewish institution administrator, principals, you know, deans. They're called minhahel. Okay, they're from hell, and <laughs> so when they ask him, "Were you Jewish, they're all going to want to strangle their Minha hell, and And then God's going to take the hook out of their mouth when they have nothing to really say for themselves over here. Because everything they were supposed to contribute didn't get contributed. And you want to know what hell is? Hell would be God showing you what you were actually created for. Hell would be seeing what you were meant to do in this world. Wouldn't that be hell? That would be hell. To find out what you were supposed to be doing. But but wearing the garments of what you did do. That would be scary. That's why I'm so scared. I'm scared, man. I'm At this point in my life, you know, most of your parents, most of your kids, most of you kids. <laughs> and most of your parents. I don't know. All you kids who are 18 to 20-whatever, are I'm your parents' age, and I know my contribution. I just don't know where it's supposed to be applied at this point, you know, like, I mean, couldn't someone else be standing here right now? I mean, you may be enjoying this class, but does it really have to be me, you know? I could easily be doing this from a chairlift or something. I'm just kidding. I do not want to go skiing. <laughs> but no, I'm contribution here. But you understand, like, if it was that important, what I was saying, you'd probably not just be showing up in essentials. You'd be probably showing up, I don't know, at my Shabbos table. I don't know, you'd be like... So, like... So, if this isn't really the forum for what I have to contribute, so what am I supposed to be doing right now? I'm scared. Meaning, if, God forbid, I died yesterday... I'm pretty sure the screen of my contribution and the screen of reality of what I did contribute would be more or less the same. The split screen would be more or less the same. I'm sure there'd be some of that leftover narcissistic Californian stuff where I was out doing something narcissistic when I could have been helping somebody. But how well can a narcissist help somebody if he hasn't had a mountain bike ride and drinking an ice cold IPA. So maybe I was supposed to be mountain biking, I don't know. Maybe I mountain bike too far. <laughs> you know, like you can imagine me watching the split screen where like we're like I'm I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, you know, but I can take that one more loop over there, or I could get back to work. And I'm just like, loop. Because the Californians taking the loop. You yeah. know. Californians go with the uh, motto, better to Say sorry than ask forgiveness. Sorry, better to say sorry than ask permission. Better to to seek forgiveness than ask permission. Is that how it is? Except that's not what we say. We say sometimes it's better to... Sometimes it's better to ask forgiveness than seek permission. Now, some of you are thinking, like, that just does not sound like a good motto. But it is a very good motto when you're standing in front of some place's (laughs) hot tub. And there's no one around. <laughs> so when the family comes home and you're stark naked in their hot tub <laughs> with all your mountain bike gear on their fence, <laughs> you just kinda are like, sorry. <laughs> So there is a time for it. Now, (laughs) the one thing about teaching this class for two and a half decades is you stop caring what you say. (laughs) And by the way, I stopped, ever since I've been observant, I have more or less, I mean with maybe a few exceptions, stopped poaching people's hot tubs. Okay, I don't poach hot tubs at this point. It just, it just doesn't look good with my look, you know. He's sitting in someone's hot tub. You know. In the old days, lots of poaching. These days, we're not poaching hot tubs, you know, which makes my brother really upset because he's still got the look where you can poach hot tubs. You know, he's very observant, but he's, you know, clean-shaven, regular-looking guy, you know. um, and Speaking of which, I think I might have gone overtime if I'm seeing Rabbi Neckermeyer, and I did. Um just to let you know if you can stop this thing. just to let you know Rabbi Nechammyer is um Rabbi Nechammyer's class is is uh the seven questions you've just experienced another torah class brought to you by torahanytime.com